2020 has been an incredibly challenging year for everyone, but arts organizations have been hit hardest as concert halls closed and audiences stayed home to avoid the spread of COVID-19 to their community. In this month of giving, there's one group in particular to keep in your thoughts for GiveMN, 10th Wave Chamber Music Collective. With your help and support, 10th Wave will enrich the community by presenting concerts representing composers and musicians of color, as well as collaborative projects with spitting image and ballerina Yuki Tokuda. Donate any amount until the end of the year for your chance to win a free mug during 10th Wave's Friday Mug Giveaway. This Give to the Max Day, November 19th, keep the artists of 10th Wave in your thoughts, like past guest Eri Isomura, as you choose which organizations to support. Visit 10thWave.org for more information. Also, the background music is Today is Sunday by Josh Clausen of Spitting Image and performed by musicians of 10th Wave Collective. Gobble gobble and welcome to the Thanksgiving spectacular episode of Hiding Behind the Music Stand. You're in for a specially stuffed treat as I've invited a few past guests of the podcast to join me around the podcast table. With me today are violinists Autumn Chodorowski and Cindy Burton and violist Andrew Francois. I'm thrilled to invite them back on the podcast and in addition to catching up, we'll dive deeper into a discussion of musical life together and tackle some of the misconceptions of classical musicians mentioned by other guests on previous episodes. Welcome back, y'all, and thanks for returning to the podcast. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I was saying, Autumn's episode was Autumn Chodorowski. Do you have a blowtorch? Cindy's was Cindy Burton. I killed falling Bobka Alsdep and Andrew Francois' You Do You. And so, in preparation for this special recording, I sent you guys all these little care packages of just a spa package, I suppose. You know, I, I wasn't really sure what your setups were. So, oh, your pumpkin. <laughs> I really that was... too. <laughs> See, I got a core. <laughs> you got a core, right? Yes. Great. Honestly, though, this is like the most perfect little pumpkin I've ever seen in it, my life. It really looks I... like that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, that would make this so perfect. It I want to carve like it. That was a last minute throw in. I was like, oh, this seems festive. So I <laughs> just decided. <laughs> but I believe I what I added into the spa package were some bath salts. And the idea was for a foot bath so I autumn and I are and Cindy are, all three okay. of us are doing a foot bath and I also included a cinnamon stick and the idea was to have apple cider together but of course I couldn't send Minnesota and apple ciders so what are what is everyone drinking I'm drinking a chai tea latte with bourbon with cinnamon <laughs> stick in it <laughs> it tastes uh, really good I'm, is I'm it? Really liking it yeah do you know what bourbon you're drinking it's Jim Beam I made Brendan go out and get it right before this <laughs> oh okay Nice. <laughs> what about That's you, keeper? I went the suggested route. I've got the cider and there's vodka in it. Vodka? Nice. Yeah, that was not my first choice, but <laughs> that we had left, that would not taste crazy 
crazy. With I think that. that's a smart idea. Yeah. And Andrew, what are you drinking? I'm drinking red wine. You know, I tried to get my apple cider, but that didn't turn out well. So well, it's okay. No, <laughs> next, we all... I'll throw a cinnamon stick in it. And, <laughs> and it's so totally still be good. It's like mold yeah, wine. Right. And so <laughs> I did, of course, since I'm here in Minnesota, I did get the Minnesota apple cider. I think it's honey crisp apples. And I also wanted to do a little shout out to the bourbon I'm drinking, which is 1792 small batch. This is recommended by Tommy Glass, who is also a previous guest on the podcast. And apparently he says this is a great deal at Costco. And oh. I think it was like around $22 or something a bottle. So it's not bad. Yeah. Is Minnesota apple cider like special in some way? Or is well, like- Minnesota is just known for their apples. I mean, mm. the honey crisp apple and I believe, oh, I can't remember the other one, but there's quite a few varieties of apples that were bred and created at the University of Minnesota. So, mm. and I know honey crisp is one of them. So that's why I, I, I'm making a bigger deal about the apples <laughs> up here. But <laughs> I did not know that. And honey no. crisp is like the best apples. So. Yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. So cheers, everyone. Cheers. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Click, click, click. Okay. Now that we're settling in, can you tell me how you know each other? Because of course I've explained how I met each and every one of you, but I actually congregated the three of you today because I kind of think it's a really interesting dynamic of how our lives all intertwined all at once. And I think that the only place that we've actually really been in one place at the same time was in Charleston at Spoleto. Yeah, I think that's right. But the three of you were also in New World Symphony together, but I just wasn't there because I never was a part of that orchestra. So could you tell me how (laughs) each of you know each other? I met Autumn in high school. We went to MYA, which I think we both talked about on our respective podcasts. But we met at MYA Summer Chamber Music Camp slash Festival at Lake Forest Academy. Mm -hmm. It was a good time. I mean, it was a really small, but it was a small enough camp that you knew everybody there. But I think we hung out in the same group together. Yeah, I don't remember like meeting you for the first time. Yeah. We just started hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. We were never formally introduced to each other. Yeah. 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 And then I met Cindy. I feel like Cindy was at New World, but we didn't really talk until Spoleto. And then after that. Yeah. And then after that, we started hanging out. Because we like, that was that, my first summer there was, Cindy was rooming with Janice, I think. And we did a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, their years run together, but I know that we started really hanging out at Spoleto. Yeah, that was Spoleto too. I I didn't realize that because I actually thought that Cindy introduced me to you, Andrew, but... She did. Yeah, no, no, no. I know, but that's... But But basically, we kind of met at the same... We all started to hang out together at the same time. Uh, Yes, yeah. Well, Andrew and I knew each other because New World is small. Yeah. Yeah. But we were in each other's like immediate friend group. Yeah. Like we were friendly. We talked to each other. We just didn't hang out hang out yeah <laughs> and then when I first met Patty Patty was hanging out with Cindy and Janice and I came along you didn't talk to me at all I was like oh this girl hates me, <laughs> yeah. me? but that's just you yeah yeah you, oh, you, no. you, you were friendly you were like oh hi I'm Patty and then you were just like whatever <laughs> I mean, you know, no. Like, dude no it's okay because you know it takes you a while to warm up to people which is fine it's like that's, I'm I the same way true. so we were fast friends after that it took one yeah. day of drinking and eating and we were good <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I, I knew Autumn from Tanglewood. Yeah. What did we do our first year together? I, I remember so. meeting you my first year there, and Patty was there too. And I think that's when I met you for the first time too, Patty. Right? That's right. But I think yeah. you and Cindy hit it off before we did because apparently I'm, <laughs> I'm someone that doesn't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> well, our last no. names were very 
close to each other. So we put in like all the same groups for stuff. Oh yeah, that's true. That right? happens a lot. And we, I think we were in a lot of chamber groups together that summer for some reason. Not like smaller chamber groups, but the bigger chamber groups. Right. We did that Copeland Nonette. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about it in that way that, you know, this is how small the classical music world is. And also the shuffling around of people and particular organizations. There's a link with Tanglewood, there's a link with Spoleto, and there's a link with New World Symphony. And then of course we have SFCM as well, San Francisco Conservatory of Music. You know, it's just like, how did all of that interweave together to then have us all be mutual friends? And obviously we're hanging out now. Yeah. And also I think especially this group of people in particular, when I think of us hanging out, it's always like, we were like living the good life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Great. So can we proceed forward? I have created some questions specifically for this episode called oven roasted questions. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. So <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to go because in the Spitfire questions, it's one-on-one. So maybe we'll just go around the circle and I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. We'll play it by ear as what people say. Cranberry sauce or Gravy. Gravy. Oh, cranberry sauce. <laughs> Ooh, controversial. <laughs> we have a really good recipe. It's more like cooked relish. So it's kind of vinegary and has daisins, uh, daisins, raisins, <laughs> like all these spices and stuff. It's really tasty. So is, is it a- sweet or savory? It's sweet. Oh, okay. It's just the way that it's cooked. So it's not Gloozy. a can. Yeah. And I don't think not- I've ever had good cranberry sauce. So maybe that's why I don't like it that much. Yeah. It's like <laughs> but some people like they want the can. You want yeah. to like get that slice and see like the little ridges and everything. <laughs> yeah. Is that a family recipe? I think actually I may have stolen it from my friend's family, but I liked it so much that I just started making it like on the regular. So now it is a Cindy yeah, recipe. Yeah. Okay, got it. Cindy Burton original. <laughs> Except really not. <laughs> Pecan pie or pumpkin pie? Oh, that's hard. Pumpkin. <laughs> No, my dad loves pecan pie, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait, my <laughs> dad loves pecan pie. Why do all dads love pecan pie? I have no idea. It's a, probably a generational thing, I swear. Maybe. I think I have to go with pumpkin if I'm down to the wire. I think I would also say pumpkin. All right. I don't know. Pecan, oh. it's like, pecan? I don't think I've ever said that. Pecan? Pecan? Um, I just said it really weird. Pecan. <laughs> it's one of those things that it's like, it shouldn't be gloopy, but then it is, right? It shouldn't if, be gloopy? If it's like all gloop and just a little bit of nut, I'm like, <laughs> not into that. Oh. <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. I'm, I'm 12 <laughs> years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to have like the full nuts on top. <laughs> So there's a nut in every bite. That's what you gotta have. Okay, I need to move forward from this question. Yes, yes. (laughs) Mold wine or spiked apple cider? Mold wine. I like both, but I'm gonna say cider because I'm drinking it right now. I think spiked apple cider, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Favorite Thanksgiving dish? Um, Mashed potatoes. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Do you do anything special with them, Andrew? No, they're just like garlic mashed potatoes. Lots of cream and butter. Yeah. 
deliciousness. Yeah, they're just great. But skin on, they got to be skin on potatoes. Oh. Yeah. What kind of potatoes Ooh, yeah. too? Oh, what are those? Yeah, rasta potatoes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was always into the mashed potatoes too, but we always put like a lot of sour cream and cream cheese in them and stuff. So they were kind of like sour cream and onion potatoes. Got mm. it. I guess, Delicious. I just don't know. I you know like the green bean casserole thing, dude. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fried onions on top. That's one of my favorites but I also have my family has this roll recipe they're called Peggy's rolls because it's my aunt Peggy or whatever those are my favorite but (laughs) okay (laughs) if you were to invite any composer to our Thanksgiving dinner table who would it be and why I know instantly Haydn Haydn why yeah because I think be the most entertaining house guest ever Mm. just based on his music yeah there's like so much variety and like so many surprises and there's like really tender moments and also like really funny moments I think he would just be like a fun person to hang out with Mm. yeah that's a nice answer and also I mean I have to say that I have to invite him because I named my podcast (laughs) after him That's a hard question. I'm. I thought Beethoven right off the bat, but I just watched a documentary about him, so that's probably why he's on my brain. But, but don't also... you think he would be a little bit like rough around the edges? Well, that's the thing. He actually really loved to drink and have a good time. Okay. From what I found <laughs> out from this documentary, okay. so it could be like, and he was known to just write music and like have singing parties and stuff. So he could also be a really fun time. Okay, so he could chill. Like, apparently, he was like a foodie. So okay, yeah. that would be good i would also maybe say like gershwin though oh. um, i really love like love all of gershwin's music so yeah. What about you, Andrew? I was thinking Mozart for that very reason. Like, he loves to party, loves to drink, he loves a good joke, you know, a little immature, so we'd get along great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Can know. you imagine Maybe. if you place all those composers in one room with a piano, that they oh, would just man. have the like biggest improvisation battles or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It would be. That'd be highly entertaining. It would be yeah. amazing. That'd be great. Although okay. apparently Beethoven had a complex about Mozart, so I don't know if that. Oh. Would work yeah, out. he thought he was yeah. apparently he thought he was just better than everybody and he to- wanted to be like him. And yeah. Beethoven's dad was like, You have to be like Mozart, you gotta be a prodigy. And he was like, I can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he was young, you know. I mean, that's Whatever. the thing is like, I think Beethoven would be interesting because you never know what you're going to get. True. So he could show up and like throw a pie at the wall or he could show up <laughs> and be like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. This pecan <laughs> pie is too gloopy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a real family Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. <laughs> craziness. Okay. If you ate too much turkey and passed out from a tryptophan overdose, what piece would summon you out from the slumber? Rite of spring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, they're little silly questions, but I was no, like, I'm going to say Symphony Fantastique just because it's mm. about a dream, and I know it's your favorite. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up or not. <laughs> so I, I have to. Like speaking of Beethoven, the beginning of Beethoven 5. Mm. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking Brahms 1, the beginning of Brahms Symphony number 1. Is the symphony. Like, done, done, done. Like, up. wake up. Yes. 
yes. So I feel now that I have to tell my Barely a Symphony Fantastique story, or maybe Cindy, you can help me with this because we didn't bring it up in her episode, but it is a long-standing inside joke with me and Cindy and whoever else I've told this joke to or this story to. So Cindy and I are first semester at San Francisco Conservatory of Music. We took this class with Corey Jamison, who is one of the Baroque interpretive harpsichord professors at the conservatory. I don't remember the class we took, what title it was. Do you remember? Yeah, it was 19th century performance practice. Right. Mm. Which was a very interesting class because we were looking at old recordings and we were identifying interpretation styles, how it's different than how we perceive interpretation today and except yada, yada, yada. And one essay we had to write for the class. I can't even remember why, what the topic was specifically. I, I feel like it was one of those like choose your own topic type things or whatever, but we write an essay. paper and then we were supposed to like present what we wrote about verbally to the class. Right. We had to stand up in front of class and speak for about five minutes or something. And I think back then I had this kind of naivete thinking that I could just walk up there and wing it and not really prepare anything. So I walk up and of course I write my paper on Symphony Fantastique, which for me, a funny transition in my life in that when I first heard it and played it, I didn't like it at all. And then as I started writing this paper, I just fell madly in love with this piece of music. And it's still to this day, one of my favorite pieces ever. And so I fell in love with the piece while writing this essay. And so I wing it and I go up in the front of class and start spewing off about how amazing this piece is as if no one else has heard this piece before. And I'm like, oh my God, did you know that he introduced five new instruments to the symphony? And these were brand new instruments like the harp and the, I see, I can't even remember all the instruments at this point, but like, you know, I was listening. And did you know that Beethoven had only died like a few years before he even produced this piece? And I was just saying like, yeah, at the end of the day, you just got to sit down and listen to this piece of music. And then I just (laughs) sat down and I think I looked over at Cindy and you were just giving me the side eye of like, what did you just do? Like, do you realize what you just did in front of everyone? At like, you made me laugh so hard because you were like so into it. You weren't telling anyone anything that they like didn't know already. <laughs> Said like, guys, if you've never heard this piece, you have to listen to it like at least five times. It's like one of the most often performed pieces in a symphonic repertoire too. It's not like this obscure thing. And so then that just ended up becoming an inside joke where, you know, anytime that piece was brought up, Cindy and I would just joke at each other like, oh, it's the best piece ever. It's just, you know, the most amazing. Did you know that? <laughs> have you heard it before? Yeah, have you heard it? You, you gotta listen to it. <laughs> so that's my story. Anyway, moving forward. This is more of a pensive question, just to preface. And it's a reconfigured, imagined way of asking the stereotypical, what are you thankful for? What was an unexpected silver lining for you in 2020? Getting to still work, the orchestra going back to work. I didn't know whether I would have a job since I'm still on tenure track. I didn't know if they would be able to keep me. I didn't know if I'd be healthy. I didn't know if the orchestra would go back to work, if I was going to get paid. You know, I it was just so up in the air that I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? So it's I'm glad I'm like, of course, still getting paid and, you know, financially secure, but more importantly, that I get to make music with this amazing orchestra, you know, that I yeah. just got here. You know, it was nice for that very reason alone. <laughs> <This 25. laughs> 
Going back to work. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I'll go next because I'm in a very similar situation with Andrew. Just started my job very recently before the pandemic. And like all of those same questions certainly came up. And we have gone back to work a little bit in the last few months, which has been really great. You don't realize how much you miss working until you can't work. And then I guess other than that, just like it's been nice to have some space from like being busy all the time and having some time to explore some new hobbies and stuff like that. I mean, I agree with all of that, especially just having some time that you didn't feel guilty for stepping away from playing music 24-7, especially like I had just come from New World and had just moved to St. Louis. And so it was a little bit nice to not have to do anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, that sounds so bad, but it was, no, no, was no. kind of no. nice. And it, it actually got me to um, enjoy practicing again, which is huge because <laughs> yeah. I was not liking it for a while there. And also, like, it was just, I I was coming off of a five-year long-distance relationship, so it was really nice to just have total time together with my fiancé, and we were able to just be together and live together, and so that was unexpected and nice, because we wouldn't have had that time to just totally start being sick of each other after a while. <laughs> right. But, yeah, we had been just working all the time, but silver lining. Yeah, for me too. It was like so nice to have some time with Jason. And it was interesting. Like, I think that people's reactions to the very beginning of the pandemic were like very different and our feelings about it have evolved over time. Because I remember at the very beginning, yeah. I had a lot of mixed feelings about it actually, because suddenly all of these really intense pressures were just lifted for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, same. Kind of felt yeah. like and Jason and I could hang out together for the first time in a long time. But then as it wore on and there's so much dread about what's going to happen in the future, it's like, yeah, there have been many phases of the pandemic already, which is... <laughs> yes, it's felt like three years. Let's be honest. Oh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was all the oven roasted questions I have. Did, Can I ask did... you some oven roasted questions? Ooh. Sure. <laughs> I'm scared. No one's asked me questions on the They're podcast. Not- oven roasted questions they're more just regular fire questions because i feel like your listeners should know about you too yes. <laughs> okay <laughs> well apparently i like symphony i'm sorry go on <laughs> are you ready for some spitfire questions patty ah, okay okay northern or southern california Ooh. northern mm. i have to say i'm sorry Ooh. i'm sorry beaches i mean that's the only thing is like i do love the beaches that's where i would spend my time if i could all the time you know but there's something about the spirit of northern california that really resonates with me my heart is always in san francisco just always i mean of course like Aww. apartment d but there's something about the spirit and vitality of that city and how it's constantly accepting it's constantly progressive. It's thinking of new ideas and every corner you turn, there's something to be inspired by. I mean, it doesn't have to just be San Francisco. I think that the Bay Area, there's a certain climate, maybe it's the fog. I'm not sure. Trees are beautiful. There's a lot of hiking. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm just, I have to say I'm a Northern California. Yeah. I mean, I'm very biased because that's the <laughs> but I think you answered correctly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion you were right yeah hey, it reminded me of that do you know the song that's like i left my heart in san francisco yeah, yeah. melody right at all <laughs> i don't know what melody that was but what was playing in my head i we'll link to it yeah we'll we'll put it in the spotify playlist <laughs> okay dumps or spring rolls <laughs> <laughs> dumps 
your spring rolls? Oh, this is tough. I think you stumped me. I don't know. Both. I can't say both. I can't say both. I think I got to say dumps. All right. And people know what I mean by dumps from Aaron's episode, dumplings. But anyway. Let's hope so. Yes. (laughs) Favorite treat yourself thing to do. I guess it would be a glass of wine. Nice. Classic. Always a good choice. Yeah. (laughs) Good life choice. Yes. Good life choices. Craziest piece you've played at the current moment, Ludislavski's string quartet. Mm. Mm. Although the thing is, it's not that crazy once you figure it out, but Mm -hmm. there's, oh man, I have such fond memories. I have to do a shout out to the musicians in the quartet that I was in who played that with me. Joshua Peters, Amy Hillis, and Ivo Bukolik. And Jean-Michel Fontenot was our coach for that. And we prepared that piece so well. We, We knew it like the back of our hands. And the first movement of this is aleatoric. So we have moments where we're playing together, but it it depends on how someone else prepared that section before. And there's certain spots where every person is in a different meter. So mathematically speaking, we had to really figure out the common denominator ratio and put whatever that note value was on a click. And then that's how we could actually figure out where the ducks lined up. And this piece also is, I love it to death. It has such a bombastic second movement. It's in two movements. And it's just like this whole story that unfolds in front of you. And of course, it's about sort of post-war because that it was I think it was written in 1960 or 1964 or something around that time not only just listening to all the sound textures that he brings out in that piece it's also playing it just physically going through the motions of it and every performance is completely unique and that's the intent it's not like a Mozart performance where you know what's going to happen you have to be really ready to be on your feet with that piece so anyway that's the long long-winded way of saying that piece. Yeah, that's so cool. I need to go back and revisit that one for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really cool. Fun memories. Hey, listeners, in case you want to listen to my particular rendition of the Ludislavsky String Quartet, you can go to YouTube and it's under Evo Violas, who is the violist of my string quartet, his account. And I will also post this link in the description of the episode because, frankly, I'm pretty proud of the product that we came up with. So I hope you enjoy as much as I did performing it. What's your favorite cute animal? Sushi? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but I mean, I think my, what did we always say? My, my soul animal or? Spirit animal. Spirit animal. Thank you. My spirit animal is a penguin. So gotta say that. (laughs) Why a penguin? That's interesting. I think because they are awkward. I like it. (laughs) And they swim. They're dressed up and they're a little bit pudgy and they're, they waddle and they look funny. (laughs) And they're monogamous. Oh, yes. And they're in the cold. Like I don't know. They rocks to each other. <laughs> well, that's cute. Yeah, but- they like find a rock and present it. And then they're like, we're married now. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's kind of sad when someone rejects a penguin's rock. Anyway, I'm just gonna stop talking about them. What I also think is really sweet about them is that when 
they are in the midst of a blizzard. The whole family of penguins circulate throughout. The people on the inside that they get warm, they're like, okay, it's my turn to have other people turn around and be warm. I don't know. For me, they're just they're just sweet animals. They're like taking care of each other. Just like Patty. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and the final Spitfire question is, do you have any heroes or sheroes that you'd Ooh. like to give a shout out to? Michelle Obama for sure is one of my sheroes. She has brought such class and grace and everything she does, you know, she just is always trying to connect with the community and try to console and, you know, make things better. I mean, I don't mean to put it on such a political platform, but she just really brings such compassion and grace to everything that she does. And I think that that is an example we all should follow. Michelle Obama. Yeah, maybe I'll just leave it at that for now. There's definitely more, but yeah, Michelle Obama is great. Congratulations. Yay, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know what it's like to be grilled over that spitfire. (laughs) Or oven roasted. Yeah, right. (laughs) I wanted to do a small catch up with your outside interests that you mentioned on your episodes. So Autumn, how has meditation been going for you? It comes and goes. It's an interesting journey. I do find that when I don't do it, I tend to get more tense, I guess it's easier to freak me out. It's easier if I read a news article or something for me to go down a rabbit hole of the world is ending, everything's on fire, like (laughs) that type of stuff. But if I do do it consistently, it's very calming and I try to do it. But you know, now that we're working again, it does get out of my reach occasionally. And then I come back to it and like everything ebb and flow. Well, isn't that also meditation-y to do is whenever it does enter your life and exit sort of thing to welcome it and then not put pressure and that you have to do it mentality exactly it's helped me when I've needed it too and then I know that it's always there in my back pocket literally on my phone in my back pocket we've started more exploring Missouri and going to different parks and going for walks and especially the fall colors here are actually really beautiful Uh, Mm -hmm. shout out to Missouri on that one I mean I find other ways of meditating sometimes Sometimes it doesn't always have to be sit down, close your eyes, do the whole thing. The whole ground basis of meditation is to be in the present, to let yourself just be in that moment and let feelings wash over you and accept them and then move on with your day. It doesn't always have to be like sit down, close your eyes, focus, meditate. Sometimes it can just be, for me anyway, walking through a really beautiful park and seeing the fall colors and appreciating that moment. So I've kind of been finding ways to do that more in my day and it gets me exercising outside (laughs) yeah out of the house so yeah it's been good though definitely helps me get through everything these past few months I feel definitely in a more solid place moving forward so well small claps for autumn So that's also a great transition for me to talk about Cindy and your yoga experience this past year, because as I was freaking out about you about what, like a month or two ago, I finally started getting into yoga and I'm like now completely addicted to it. And I found, you know, a lot of times when you start a practice, you sit there and you focus on your breath before you start getting into any of the cow, cat, up, down, dogs, whatever you want, everything, all the things. And um, all the dogs. All the... <laughs> 
And I find myself in those moments focusing on my breath, that being akin to the meditation that Autumn, that you were talking about. And it's definitely changed the way that I have walked around since I started even doing this. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, so Cindy, how has yoga been going for you? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm so happy for you and that it's been fruitful and fun for you and like a new thing. I don't know. I feel like I started doing yoga kind of a long, I mean, a long time ago. It was, it wasn't something that I picked up during the pandemic. So I don't think my yoga practice has really changed that much because it even before the pandemic started, it was just kind of part of my regular life maintenance. But I mean, what Autumn was saying definitely resonates. It's always there when you need it. And Mm -hmm. we're definitely having a year where like you probably need it even more often than maybe you would in a normal time. So that's been really great, especially since, you know, our activities are just like limited and it's something you can do in your house which is amazing. But I think my thing I did pick up in pandemic was getting into photography a little bit, which is something I've always wanted to do. And then finally got a camera a year ago and was too busy and overwhelmed to really dive in. And then once the pandemic started, I had all of this free time. So I was like, okay, well, I think this is the time to like figure it out and started doing that more consistently and had a breakthrough where it started to make sense. And I feel like I'm definitely still like a total, total beginner, but it's been really fun and has given me like reasons to like go out and look for something special. Even if it's a place that I've walked many, many times, you always find like something different that you've never noticed because you're looking in a different way. And it's just reignited my curiosity in general. So that's been really fun. Oh, yay. Do you want to plug your Instagram account? Yeah. So, I mean, it's called CB Photo Explorer. Like I said, I'm a total beginner. I'm like literally just learning how to take pictures that are in focus. (laughs) It's a challenge. My style is or will be, but it's been really fun. I have this separate account that's only photography stuff. So whenever social media is getting me down, I just switch over to my photography account and look at what other artists and creatives are putting out there and get new ideas and stuff. So yeah, it's really fun. That's good. Okay. I love this picture of the dog, the bulldog. (laughs) It's so derpy, cute. Dog in the world. That's like a really noble picture of him. (laughs) I've talked to Autumn about this. I want a dog just like that, like a bulldog or like one of those pugs. Or he's crazy. He'll get so excited that he'll like run so fast, and then he like can't catch his breath for like thirty minutes afterwards. Oh no. Yeah. So, Andrew, during your episode, the French Open was happening. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it the U.S. Open first and then they did the French or no? That's right. Well, the U.S. Open was August 31st to September 13th. And then the French uh, Open was September 27th to October 11th. Yeah, so yeah. We said on the episode that we were going to watch it together, but then we, <laughs> we did it. Did. <laughs> we're the worst. We are the worst. It's fine. But, no, I but yeah, you it, watched it. I did. Yeah, I watched them both. It's been really nice to get to watch tennis again because it was off. Like the season should have been happening this whole time. All the major tournaments should have been going on but that obviously didn't happen but they were able to you know like do it really safely where they had very little audience in the stands and you know everybody had to wear masks and they didn't always have line judges for every match only the big matches on the big stages yeah it was nice to 
to like get to see how these athletes spend all this time in quarantine and they come right out of quarantine to play these giant tournaments that still mattered for their rankings mattered for their points their money you know everything so right. it was nice also we have a new US Open winner one of the big three you know Nadal Djokovic and Federer they usually win one of these big Grand Slam tournaments but now we have one of the youngins won because Djokovic like Nadal didn't play because he wanted to play in the French, the French Open. Open yeah yeah well Djokovic played but then he hit a line judge in the face with a ball like oh. while he was mad so he like hit the ball behind him and it hit like a line judge oh, in the throat or something wow. and she collapsed it was this big thing and he got kicked out of the tournament for that so he couldn't win it was a big scandal how did I miss and, that yeah no go look it up it's, it's okay. kind of hilarious because I feel like he didn't hit her that hard but because she like kind of got clipped and then she like collapsed and she's like oh <gasps> And so, I mean, he shouldn't have hit it. So anyways, he got penalized for that. So Dominic Thiem, he's like one of the younger up and coming. He's Austrian. He's really good. Uh, one of my favorite younger players, but he ended up winning. And then Nadal won his 13th French Open, which is great. Congratulations. Yeah, I was going to say, him. when I saw that he won it, I was like, well, of course, that's what Andrew was telling me on the episode. So. Exactly. Although I mean, somebody else needs to win it now. We're tired of him winning it. But oh. it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. You know how I feel about Nadal. I, like I do, I do, yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, I'm just hoping like next season is we're back to normal tennis and everybody will be around. But they still have like the year-end finals, but there's no Federer, so I don't know if I'll watch it or not. We'll see. We shall see. Yeah, yeah. And Such I haven't loyalty. gotten to play. I know it is loyalty, you know, like you gotta go with your players. And I haven't gotten to play tennis since I was home in June. My brother and I went out and hit every day, but yeah. So it's been a while. I need to Aww. need to get back out there. I miss you it. Call up Brendan. I know. Like, like, so Brendan and I were, I feel like we played right before the pandemic hit. During the pandemic, we were like, oh, we should go play because, you know, it's outside, socially distanced. But then Apparently we found Apparently it's one of the huh? risky activities you can do is play tennis. It is. But all the parks closed the courts and stuff while we were yeah. thinking about playing. And then we just forgot about it. I'm sure we'll play yeah. when it gets and, warmer again. Yeah. 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 And but. Brendan is Autumn's fiance and also yes, a yeah. player. And I should also mention that Autumn and Andrew both live in St. Louis. So they actually, every yes. now and then, get gather and I mean like earlier yeah. they're talking about what they want to bring for dinner sort of things so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of like our quarantine bubble for a little bit it was, yeah we had a yeah. little it's barbecue important. bubble group yeah. Yeah. <laughs> keep wearing yeah. masks everyone please you know as, yes. as going into flu season yeah. and please also get your flu shots you know this Be year safe. it's really important I already did myself so yeah. just PSA announcement for everyone on that note are we ready to take a break is this a good time I mean my feet are very very raisiny right now <laughs> <laughs> oh, I took, I took mine out so long ago. They were like shriveled. Let's take yeah. a break. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. So we all filled up our glasses and so we're ready to go deep and talk about some of the misconceptions that my guests in the past have brought up in our episodes together. And I have to apologize up front to Autumn and Cindy. I didn't create this question until Meredith's episode. So I didn't actually get to ask you your guys' thoughts on that specifically. I don't know if you want to chime in on any of them now or if we should just go and dive and focus into one popular one, which is the elitism 
from in classical music? I'd say let's just dive in because I, I, even without you asking that question in my individual episode, at least we kind of touched on it a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So I found across the board when I would ask this question, the first instinctive thing that people would say is classical music and maybe even the performers themselves are elitist or they're stuffy or it's for the higher class and not for everyone on the individual level. And obviously for us, that's just simply not true. I think that might have been slightly your answer, Andrew. Yours was a little bit more like people think that maybe classical musicians are stuffy and that we're actually really fun people to hang out with, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of like we're just these pompous sort of people who dress up in our tuxes and our concert blacks and, you know, we're untouchable slash, you know, unapproachable. And I I was like, no, 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 that's not. I mean, yeah, on stage we look serious because we're concentrating, you know, we're trying to do our craft well. But outside of that, you know, we're probably some of the most approachable people personally that I've met. But I'm also a musician, so I'm biased. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, I would say that. But. So for me, one of the reasons why we have this concept or label on us is primarily how pop culture has portrayed us. And even TV shows like Mozart in the Jungle. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Autumn and I so. were actually considering to do a spinoff podcast about each episode of Mozart in the Jungle and how that is so inaccurate. But I Debunking think- it. We we, yeah. we took notes on the first episode and we just couldn't. I think it was just yeah. <laughs> too much. It was I, so I, wrong. I, I was watching the first episode and it was painful. It's only like half an hour long, 28 minutes or something. And yeah. Brendan would come in and just started watching and was like, oh, what is this? Why are you watching this? And he was like visibly upset over it because it's just it's such a bad portrayal of it's like they didn't even ask a real musician. I also read the book, which is written i mean the book is someone's real experience but the show is grossly exaggerated in a lot of ways and then also in the book basically at the end she kind of just bashes all of classical music because she just had a bad experience herself and applies it to an entire group of people which is very unfair i think right because a lot of the times music is people's escape it's people's way of therapy and it sucks when that's not somebody's experience with music don't read yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> don't watch it I don't like it it's just not I couldn't uh, get past the first few episodes I was like no this yeah is it's awesome. very pessimistic at least the book is very pessimistic and very tries to yeah. paint the entire musical world in a certain light that I did not agree with maybe it was like that in the 70s when she you know, had her yeah. right and I mean that can be because we started implementing more change we started putting up the screen in orchestral auditions we put carpets down so then people wouldn't know if a woman walked in with heels or whatever or it doesn't have to be a woman these days wearing heels right but you know I so there is progress there's always progress being made in our profession but it's not even just that TV show there's just across the board the number of times people are saying oh I'm gonna go to Juilliard oh that's where all the musicians go or this portrayal of us being these crazy fanatics and artistic people that only the few select might understand or you know or maybe they have a tormented past and that's the reason why their art creates this do you have any comments on on any of that? Have you guys seen the show Ratcheted? Yes. One of the characters there is like, I went to Juilliard. Yes. And the yeah, movie, she has like, a, 
multiple personality yeah. disorder, and she one of her things is, and she plays in a different orchestra every time she talks about it. Yeah. Like, it's like I, I was, was the first. Like, and it was just sort of like that's what people think classical musicians are like. These yeah. these sort of divas, prima donnas, and stuff, and it's just hilarious that misconception. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Cindy, you're totally gonna say something before that. Oh, well, it was like kind of a little bit of a tangent, but not really. But I think that. I mean, this is kind of true for art of any kind, but there's like an idea that you have to like be in pain or like be suffering in order to be a good artist. And that story gets told over and over and over again because it makes for like good TV or whatever the medium is. Like Da Vinci cut off his ear. Like that's his story. You You mean Van Gogh? Van Gogh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Da Vinci was messed up too. (laughs) (laughs) They're all messed up. But yeah, like just thinking about like Mozart in the Jungle, for example, I don't think I even got through the first episode, but it's taking like the worst possible side of that and just magnifying it. And then people think that that's all that an artist's life is, is the pain. And I I think it's really, really unhealthy for us as creators to buy into that. And it's also simply not true, right? I mean, that's where you can take any profession and magnify the most painful, hard parts. I mean, I guess people like, you know, my sister would comment on things like Grey's Anatomy, you know, and my sister's a doctor and say like, well, that's really not, obviously this is over-dramatized and that's not what it's like. And, you know, we don't have sex in the on-call rooms or whatever like that, you know, like obviously no, but, you know, but right, for a dramatic effect. But for whatever reason, you know, doctors are taken seriously. Doctors are respected. Why aren't we? Why are we falling by the wayside of that? And how can we get more people to understand and relate with us? Or how can we relate with them? Or I don't, I'm not sure where the responsibility lies really, but. So if I can jump in, I've always found this problem kind of with classical music being the main underlying of, so it came from aristocracy, like it's always been kind of an upper class thing. You had to like be in a court to hear this music back in the day, like you were hired by a king to compose. So it comes from a long line of being that upper class stuck up better than you type of music but I think over the years when it has more accessibility and I find that when I approach an audience I think it's all about how we as musicians start to relate to audiences because we've kind of been brought up in this system where we're on stage, we're removed from our audience and not a lot of other people are like that um, except for like plays or something like that. Like rock bands, they play, they're like talking to their audience. Most other performance mediums have some sort of interaction. So I found, I used to do a lot of group muses in San Francisco. And just in general, I find when you talk about music, not like just irks me to no end when program notes or when somebody talks about a piece of music, talk scientifically about the piece of music. And I I get there's a time and a place for that. Like, yes, if you're in a room of, you know, music theorists, absolutely deconstruct the, this piece is in sonata form, blah, blah, blah. That that definitely has a time and a place. But I think to general public, if they go to their first concert and they start hearing phrases like sonata form or, you know, this piece is in, even in like 4-4 time, the average Joe doesn't know what that means. And so Mm -hmm. I found that music is based on human emotion. It's something that comes from humans. And if you read letters by composers, they're just normal people. 
that had normal problems. They're not these weird gods that were just in their rooms, just composing all the time and being these masters all the time. Like that's not who they were. Like Mozart made butt jokes and like poop jokes <laughs> and like just stuff like that. And I find like, if you can relate to that aspect of the composers and the music and like talk about like the emotion behind it, who these composers actually were as people, most of the time people feel like they have a door that they can open and step into that piece and relate to it. And then it doesn't become as scary. It doesn't become as elitist. It's just me enjoying this piece of music from another human being. And I feel like that needs to happen a lot more, especially at the orchestra level. Why at the orchestral level? I feel like the orchestra, chamber groups have a better time of being able to directly relate to their audience because they're smaller. I feel like there's more, you can go out and mingle with your audience. Orchestras, it's really hard to get 80 people off the stage into then to actually mingle with an audience and (laughs) talk to them about the music. And unfortunately, I know a lot of conductors that are kind of coming from old school mentalities that like to just preach to audiences about music. And it's not always effective. I find the best conductors are the ones who joke around and are like, welcome. And this is fun. Like, let's have a good time. And unfortunately, I mean, you know, it's it's starting to change. Like musicians are starting to just wear all black instead of tuxedos and fancy wear. And I think it's a good direction, but I think a lot more needs to happen in order for people to feel comfortable to come to the symphony like they would a movie. You know, you don't have to get dressed up to go to a movie. And maybe that's the part of the appeal of going to the symphony, but I don't think it needs to be the whole thing. Can I ask you guys a collective question since you all were new world symphony fellows so as a new world symphony fellow you create this artist profile right and each of these profiles it's like a two minute long video or something Mm -hmm. along those lines they play right before on a screen right before your performances as as this is what i understand of course i again i should say i have i've never seen you guys perform i'm really sorry but i mean i've seen you <laughs> we forget you. Know, you. It's okay. Pre COVID, I couldn't, you know, there was not yeah. any remote performances, right? But this is my understanding is that you have an artist profile on you for about two minutes. And that's the idea is to introduce yourselves to the audience. And so then one of the audience members knows a member of the of the band, let's say. You know what I'm saying? Do you think that's made an, a rippled effect in Miami Beach? Yeah, I think New World's doing a really good job of that. And like tapping back into the the dress and the on-stage etiquette, we're trained from the beginning that you're you're not supposed to stick out as an individual. You're supposed to make a statement together as a group, which is why we all wear a uniform when we're performing. And if one person's playing a solo and everyone else is listening, we learn that you're not supposed to stare at the person and you're not supposed to react or like move unnecessarily because you don't want to distract from what's happening with the person who's playing the solo. And that's something that's like so different from like a rock show. In that situation, everyone is always physically engaged and we were just taught from a very young age not to do that 
And so I think a lot of audience members don't realize that. And so they come to the orchestra and the music's happening and they see the rest of the musicians on stage just staring blankly into their stands. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it would be equally weird if like only one person in the orchestra was like grooving. <laughs> yeah. But that's where we, you know, we've talked about this. I remember, you know, certain symphony members of like San Francisco that we'd be like, yeah, that person's always moving. Like, right, you know? You know, the negative you know? thing, like you cannot get hired with an orchestra if you move too much which i think is stupid because you want that collective like every conductor that comes in to conduct you they're always like you guys need to move as an organism you know you need to be one you need to be but also like don't just sit there and be the stoic sort of player and then we like move and everything and i find that it's most often it's like management or you know administration that's sort of just like oh no that's too distracting or oh no or like the older players members of the symphony who came up in a time where that was normal i feel like now people are especially in st louis I feel like we're encouraged to like move and, you know, emote physically with whatever is happening. And I love that about this orchestra. And I don't think it's just Denev. I think Robertson, who was the conductor before, he encouraged that. I've never worked with him, but I hear great things about him. But Denev is also the same way. He's like, I want you to move. I want you to express something. I don't want you to just sit there like frogs on a log or bumps on a log, whatever the term is. But, you know. And I mean, I gotta say, like, as someone who goes to or did before COVID, (laughs) went to a lot of symphony concerts because I would get free tickets. It was very apparent. And just saying the viola section of the St. Louis Symphony is one of the best I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's because they all look into it. You guys are really like, like everybody is just moving and it's really fun to watch. And then see the, you know, Europeans. That's more of a tradition over there. And I think that's super important. And you can see it too. There's European orchestras do really well in public. Like a lot of the public goes to their concerts and it's more of a stand thing to go to an orchestra music concert. So, yeah. well, there's a couple. Oh, I'm sorry, Cindy. Do you want to oh, say okay. something? I, I just think there's a definite conflict between the idea that a lot of people are starting to have now that like the individuals in the orchestra should be known mm. by the audience, which I think is really positive and a wonderful thing for the art form, which like we were saying, New World with their profile videos, they do really, really well with that versus kind of like the older attitude of no, it should stick out. And like Andrew was saying, a lot of times like you get that pushback from more traditional management or audience members or whatever. Like, I don't know if you guys remember or if you were at New World when this happened, but there was like a stockings revolt. Yes, yeah. When I was there. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was like yeah. a whole discussion around whether we should wear stockings for a part of our uniform, which oh. like, pretty much every professional orchestra does. And stockings themselves, I could take it or leave it. But there was kind of a tradition at New World that we didn't wear stockings. And that had been a standing procedure for like many, many years. And then like we had some turnover and they started enforcing it. And there was tons of pushback on this because basically the people who wanted us to be wearing stockings were donors and like more conservative people who thought it looked better for us to have the stockings on and have a more unified look and be more conservative, which isn't necessarily bad, but it wasn't what we were used to. And we were used to being able to sort of express ourselves more individually. Mm -hmm. And there's also like a great (laughs) history of stockings in general in Mm -hmm. like the history of women's fashion where the people who require women to wear stockings at the workplace are some of the most conservative businesses yeah 
And uh, I don't think that's what the people in the orchestra want to represent. You know, I mean, we want to be appropriate, but we don't want to be stuffy and we, and we want to be approachable. So (laughs) it was an interesting thing to witness. What was the result? Well, they wear stockings now. Yeah. They, it's Um, like they enforced it. They'd be like, Oh no, you need to go off stage, find some stockings. Like, like oh wow. And And I I don't, I was like in the transition of, I used to sub and it would be awesome because I felt like the orchestra sure was super fashionable and everybody looked really good and as a result I felt like it attracted a younger crowd younger I could would see younger professional 20 30 people in the crowd and it wasn't just like a sea of white hair and then yeah I became a fellow I think the year after they started enforcing the stocking rule and it just felt like a step back it really did you know it kind of everybody lost a little bit of their individuality that they could have on stage and some shoes don't look good with stockings <laughs> stuff like that shoes with stockings yeah yeah I mean I was watching a video of a European and there's like women without sleeves on stage and it looks totally fine I'm just like I don't no. understand and I think when the orchestra is allowed to dress their age and how their you know world is represented they draw a crowd that can relate to that I mean we live in Miami Beach let's be honest like, yeah, like you could not I mean, wear that was stockings part of it. Like, that was part of it like, too you know. no i mean no i'm saying like we should have been able to like express ourselves yeah. exactly how we are we're young people living in this hip city like and we attract a young audience between the friends of new world and just like young people we there's so many universities around we'd have a young audience of course we have our faithful older you know more mature audience as well but i never once talked to an audience member and they were like oh i hated how the women weren't wearing stockings or you know like i don't like all the all black or whatever it's all about the music making and i hate that sometimes the visuals get in the way of this amazing music making that we're doing that not a lot of people are at that level you know we're a young orchestra in new world but it's made up of some of the most up-and-coming people like you know young musicians coming through major conservatories different schools like whatever just let us play our music let us do us and we'll make you proud (laughs) i don't know if i i think if like orchestras took more cues from the musicians that way it Mm -hmm. would actually help them in the long run but unfortunately there's this weird divide where a lot of their donations do come from older patrons who of course or something else so it does seem a bit odd though to have it sort of mandated from someone who's paying you money it's sort of like i'm paying you to wear stockings (laughs) like but that's the sort of like that's very much the vibe of miami beach it's like i'm paying you for service actually i was gonna say this before like you were talking about how your sister like you know she watches Grey's anatomy and stuff and everybody still respects doctors in the same way. But I think that for us, especially in the United States, not so much Europe, but in the United States, we're seen as entertainers. And so entertainers are paid to entertain, not to have opinions, not to deviate from what we think you should be. We're the ones paying money. So this is what we want to see. In Europe, they're like rock star level in terms of this is one of the highest art forms, one of the oldest art forms that we have. They should be respected. We should let them do what they do and like get out of their way. But for us in America, I feel like we're almost seen. I don't want to say like as the help, but you know, like we're almost seen as like, we're paying you to do something. So do it, shut up and do it. Yeah. It's just mm. very frustrating sometimes. Very I frustrating mean, you, sometimes. Even if you think about the amount of hours that most musicians study and yeah. work, they should be paid about the same as like a lawyer or a doctor who has studied and worked just that. Some are. <laughs> 
I mean, yes, I'm not, um, in control of like other people's surviving and stuff. So I, I definitely think doctors should be paid more. But <laughs> I just say for like the level of salaries, if you end up getting an orchestra job, which is a whole nother discussion or chamber job or whatever, compared to how much work actually goes into being a professional musician is one of the highest disparities, I think, for like any other profession out there, which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> we chose this life. Hey. Yeah, but we love it. That's <laughs> But we love it. And that's- well, oh, well, that's, you know, I mean, that again, that's a whole other topic, which I don't want to get into because I do want to still focus on elitism, you know, but that is a problem that people have this assumption that because you enjoy it, therefore you're getting the reward already. So that means we don't have to pay you as much, right? Yeah, be and happy so, with what you get. Yeah, exactly. Like your prize is your own fulfillment. And it's like, well... <laughs> can't eat That's fulfillment not... yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. unless it, it's in the form of a pie or something I don't yes know. i mean that would be great the money I mean... to buy the pie. Yeah. exactly right 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 anyway i i do want to go back to again to me it's sounding like a lot of it is optics other than just how you know tv shows write us in their storylines or whatever it's literally how we present ourselves on the visual level and less about the music would you agree or is that am I oversimplifying I mean I'm sure I'm oversimplifying I think in certain situations that is true yeah where they want you to look and act a certain way more and they don't care so much about the music that you're making music is an art form of sound it's not a visual art form Cindy sorry go for it I was just thinking that I think there's an idea that classical music is like background music or elevator music that a lot of people have if they haven't listened with some kind of intention before but if you do that it's not like you need to know anything to listen to classical music. You don't have to be like smarter than the average person or have like read more books or anything. If you just listen with some kind of intention and paying attention, then you'll find the most enormous range of experiences I think that you'll find in any kind of music. That's what I was saying um, before. I was giving people a door that actually relates to them as people into classical music because I fully believe that everybody would like classical music if they just listened to it. Like there's so many pieces. There's such a range out there. Like there's going to be something you like, even if it's to find peace, to like rock out. There's just so much out there. And I think just sitting down and being like, hey, I really like this piece of music. It's about this. I think you could relate to it. Like here, listen to it with me. Allows for people to listen and to be like oh that sounds really cool I like that who's that composer like who's this guy like I did that with WC string quartet it was all all you have to do is even say oh this this kind of relates to like paintings like Monet like see how the textures and the colors that's like this piece of music and then people are like oh cool I know that guy I know that painting like it's really easy to relate that way and I think a lot of the times musicians get caught up in their own heads about this is you know I've studied this for so long and they want to be scholarly about things because they want to prove that they know about the music or something and I think to a general public audience like not to dumb it down or anything because that's not what I'm saying I'm just saying there's different things that we could be talking about with music to get people in the door to get people to relate to it 
it to get people to feel something with the music because I don't think classical music is boring or that it's ever going to go out of style. I just think people need to find a new way to relate to it. Right. So you're basically saying, how do you vamp up this vibe or this excitement? You know, that's got to market it well. Yeah, it's about marketing the music in a modern way. Why are we still talking about certain things? So that actually is a great transition to another thing that I know the New World Symphony does, which I've been so curious about the success of it. And I also know that there was a time that the San Francisco Symphony also tried a similar approach, which makes sense because, you know, as as most musicians know, maybe not my listeners, New World Symphony was the brainchild of Michael Tilson Thomas, who is one of the most forefront conductors of our generation and our generation before us. So he created the New World Symphony, which is a, yeah, it's an orchestral music academy, basically exactly what it is, you know, cultivating the up and coming classical musicians that will eventually become professionals wherever they land in either chamber music as a freelancer or as an orchestral musician, right? That's why there's a connection between the San Francisco Symphony to the New World Symphony, because Michael Tilson Thomas was the director for the San Francisco Symphony for many years and recently retired. I don't remember what the particular concerts were called, so you will have to remind me, but there were some concerts that you did at New World Symphony that basically transformed the concert hall into a rave. Yeah. Pulse concerts, they were yeah. called. Yeah, yeah. Pulse. So good. Okay. Yeah. Is that a direction that you think that we need to go in classical music? Was it successful? Is that a way that we can hype up classical music to a younger audience? Or, you know, as what Autumn is saying, to try to relate in a modern way? I think it was so- successful from Miami Beach. I don't yeah. know if anybody else agrees with me because Miami Beach is a very interesting place that where mm-hmm. clubbing is like a main activity. And so I don't know if it would work so well in a place like Chicago. New World's Hall is perfectly designed for a pulse type concert where you can just remove all the bottom, you know, seats and you can lower and raise the stage. I feel like since I was there from my first year, they experimented with so many different formats and designs of each pulse concert where with the stage and where people got to sit or stand or whatever you know it was always different and I feel like not every hall and not every orchestra can accommodate they just don't have one the audience they won't have the audience around to do it two the hall won't be able to accommodate that sort of relaxed vibe and make you comfortable as well and so I don't know I feel like the people who can do it they should try it at least once maybe once every year would be great and if that doesn't work then you know never do it again when I first got to New World I remember I played my first Pulse concert and the John Keezer of the time was called Aiden Adler and I was in a meeting with her I was talking to her about something and I was like oh how come we don't do more Pulse concerts you know those are fun people seem to love them I'm sure it brings in a lot of money and she was just like well you know like Pulse is great and all but we don't want to be that orchestra that's like the Pulse orchestra you know we want to be a serious orchestra that trains you guys to go out into the real world and no other orchestra is doing stuff like this so it's not practical outside of doing it here and having fun that's not to say that we shouldn't like reimagine how we're putting on concerts and you know like I think there have been lots of experiments with different ways to help people feel comfortable and like more casual atmospheres like letting people like sip on a drink while they're watching in the halls yeah successful like it doesn't have to be like a whole like rave vibe you know yeah yeah like little changes that make people feel like it's going to be fun and low-key and not intimidating yeah Yeah. and that's definitely more what I was saying with the market 
marketing. I think the Pulse concerts are great, but it's definitely a niche kind of market. And if you're talking general public, I actually hate clubs. Like I would hate to go to like club rave. Like they were fun at the time, but it's not something I would seek out necessarily. San Francisco is doing like Soundbox. That's what I was trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Soundbox is similar. Yeah. It's kind of like similar, but it's not as, I guess, ravey. It's more just you're basically in a bar setting and sometimes there's dancers, there's cool setups and stages and the performers are kind of more on your level. They're not like on a stage. And so it's more of an immersive experience. And I think the drink thing you said is huge. I know my orchestra at Quad City Symphony, we allow our audience members to drink in their seats. And I think we definitely sell way more tickets because of that. And we have a lot more younger audience members because they feel like it's a fun date night. They can go and get a drink and listen to some music and then, you know, go out to dinner or something. And yeah, the whole just sitting and listening thing is a lot to ask of a modern audience who's used to being all over the place. At Louisville Orchestra, our music director is Teddy Abrams. And I think he's like just a great example of a young, relatable music director. And he's so great at talking to the audience. So we have this series. It's kind of like a lecture recital, but like way less academic sounding. But it's basically we just play one piece, like one symphony or something where you would normally play three or four different pieces on a program. So we just focus on one piece. And for the first half, He just talks to the audience about his experience of the piece, like his favorite moments, like cool stories about the composer. And it's really engaging and gives people something to listen for when they hear the piece after intermission. And that's been really successful. And again, if it was somebody who's not like Teddy and made the talking part really dry and academic and like facts and figures and jargon that people don't understand, then that model would not work at all. That's really cool. Yeah, but because Teddy is so relatable and people find him fun and engaging and and all that it's been really successful that needs to happen everywhere across the board that type of model is key i think well can i ask a question though because that is already happening but just not from the conductor i mean i remember at least with the la phil and i would never go to them so i'm a hypocrite but (laughs) they would always have pre-lecture concert talks that were about 30 minutes before the concert and most of the time that's when everyone's shuffling in because everyone's running around you know late from something and whatever you know and then they would finally make it to their seat maybe even five minutes after the doors close or whatever right so what is different from that than a pre-lecture concert talk the model that you were talking about Cindy is in the concert right right so then I guess maybe the flaw is that people find the pre-lecture talk to be optional rather than if you had set the concert time 30 minutes before Mm -hmm. then people would sit is it just logistical problem I think part of it is that if you go early to a pre-concert talk then your evening is longer yeah hands down just (laughs) I can't get there 30 minutes before that I could barely get there like on time let me right and I mean I love classical music but I don't always want to go to a three-hour concert you know like it's a long time to sit still so I think there's some appeal to just diving into one piece really in depth and really understanding it yeah whereas if you decide to go to a pre-concert talk before a traditional show that's full length then it's like even more commitment which maybe is intimidating to 
to first time concert goers. Like I just think about myself. It's like an hour and a half is about as much time as I like to spend at a concert, maybe two hours if it's a longer piece of music or something. And if you think about movies, like most movies are only an hour and a half, two hours long. That's most people's attention span for one thing. And I think it is elitist as classical musicians to think, oh, but our art form's better. You should want to sit here for three hours. I think that's part of the elitist mentality that might be harming classical music. I don't think every concert needs to have three pieces of music. And why can't it just be a Beethoven symphony? Like, why can't that just be with cheaper tickets, like, and more performances? Yeah, I mean, can I just interject a little bit? It's funny in a way because we're talking about the fatigue of sitting in a concert for more than you know an hour and a half or something like that which I I absolutely 100% am there too but you know it's okay so there's that problem but then I went last year to see the Foo Fighters and they're awesome I mean they played every piece that piece oh my god every song that (laughs) you know that that is a hit they played every single one and it was in Minneapolis and they're saying you know like this is our second to last night of the tour so we're just gonna play everything for you right And, you know, we're standing in the mosh pit. We didn't buy the expensive seats. We were, you know, all standing. The concert was about three hours long, you know, and it was a great concert. I will remember it for the rest of my life. But as much as it was, they played everything I wanted them to play. I was so fatigued at the end of it. Yet, you know, how is that acceptable versus at least at a classical music concert, you can sit in a seat. Well, I'll counter with the fact that. And the tickets are not even that expensive. Tickets are like, what, $40, you know? But at least you could move around talk like drink something probably we're asking people to literally just sit there and focus quietly yeah nobody's shushing you if you open a wrapper people glare at you like that's why i'm like i'm loving the drinks in the hall i'm loving kind of like shorter pieces based out so people can move around more frequently i really like that model i find the most rewarding concerts that i go to are like an hour an hour and a half long where I'm able to, you know, enjoy a glass of wine while I'm listening. And I become way more engaged. And I'm a musician. So like, yeah. why why are we asking people who are listening to this for the first time to sit there and just stare at a bunch of people who are doing the same thing on stage for three days? Yeah, I don't know. But in that same That's breath, that- like, I wouldn't want somebody to be, sometimes when there's excess noise around and you're playing a concert, it can be so distracting. Oh, I mean, sure. of course, I'm one of those advocates who's like clap between movements, you know, like show your appreciation, stuff like that. Become as you are, be comfortable. But like, definitely, I think that it is really hard to ask somebody to sit there and listen to a two hour concert. When I was playing in LA, we used to do these uh, things called casual Fridays, where you would go to a little reception before the concert, you'd get a little tipsy, you know, have a good time. You'd go to the concert, it would be like one hour, like Cindy was saying, you play one piece, maybe the conductor would tell you a little bit about it. And then you play like a Brahms symphony. It's an hour it's done then you go get more drinks and you get to talk to the musicians and I was like these are the type of concerts I feel like more people would want to come to and even now during COVID 
St. Louis is doing concerts that are no longer than an hour. And so, and it's great. We played like our first concert was Beethoven 3 and then some new piece by Jesse Montgomery, who's like an amazing composer that everybody's playing now. And, you know, yeah. I, I'd never heard of her, but now I'm playing everything by her. And it was just great because it was quick. It was easy. And we were done and we were out of there and people loved it. And I think we need to vamp this new model of how people go to orchestra concerts because the old model is not working. And this is why everybody's saying the orchestra is dying, you know, because nobody wants to sit through a two hour long concert when, you know, you could watch a show for 30 minutes on Netflix and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for like shorter and more high intensity experiences. We're not saying that we want you to come to the concert and just have a conversation while we're playing. Yeah. <laughs> there's a line. Mm -hmm. We want you to be comfortable, but also not not pay, you know. Shut up. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah. You know, but like the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Respectful. I don't know. I just felt like it needed to be said because we do want people to care and pay attention and listen. We don't think of it as background music at all. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe a, a shorter time where people can really be engaged and then afterwards mingle and talk to the musicians and talk to each other and, and have like hangout time. That I, I love that St. Louis model. Or what, sorry, was it LA? It was LA. I will say that the few experiences I've had where I've done models like that, where you really dive into a piece of music and kind of have more of an like I love that phrase intense experience with the music and you can like really get to know it are the few times where I've actually been able to connect really well with the audience members because they had such an experience that they were able to relate to me more and then you end up forming a bond of just humanity and that's how you get people to come back to concerts and introduce people to classical music who might not otherwise listen to it but like in that same breath so why is it Patty was talking about Foo Fighters and she was like yay Foo Fighters we like I could stand through a three hour concert and not think anything of it but well, like do we consider <laughs> uh, so, it, was, I mean, no, it yeah. was a bit fatiguing I, I was yeah, you're, a bit long you're like I'm good I'm good but at the, I'm no, but go at the same time it was like everything yeah. I, I got my money's worth and those tickets were expensive so uh, fair <laughs> enough but like I know this is something that in any other orchestra like before I got to St. Louis we didn't do a lot of but we play movie concerts or like movie music that it's classical music soundtracks are classical music but people will like sit through a three hour long two and a half hour long two hour long movie with no intermission and they won't complain a bit but like when you ask them to listen to a Brahms or Beethoven symphony they're like ah, I'm good I need to go to bed now so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know like and it's the well, same that's... basic it's not like it's all loud it's, it, yeah, it's absolutely. still these soft things I think though that so part of it is what Cindy was saying about the high intensity right so yeah. like when you have a movie soundtrack and a movie film playing there's two mediums that you're focusing on right you can watch the orchestra and you can watch the movie and yeah. usually you go when you go to the symphony to watch those movies you already know the movie it's not yeah. like you're watching it for the first time right True. so so there's already a familiarity with the content and mm -hmm. i think that that's the why they the issue comes up where it's like how come why isn't a brahms symphony something that is yeah. approachable relatable content that they've known before you know yeah and want to experience it in a different way but I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is an endless question. And obviously, as we were <laughs> mentioning, it's a marketing issue. But I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we can deconstruct it and the more that we can say, look, this is music. And this is, as Autumn was saying, this is from us. This is a human construct. This is something that connects us 
and that's why is there this label on our particular genre to say that it's something unapproachable or only the people who understand it, the most heady people will be able to understand or appreciate. And we're basically tackling the marketing issue and we're tackling the optics, how we are dressed on stage, how we are supposed to act on stage, whatever the concert going etiquette is that has been determined, clapping between movements or drinking or eating during a concert or whatever. And I think the other thing too is just how to engage ourselves physically on stage to our audiences and how our audiences can be more physically engaged too. And I know I focused a lot on the New World Symphony and what things that they're trying out and experimenting with. And I wonder and hope to see where that's going to go in the future for a lot of our institutions. Because I think right now is the time for every classical music organization, not just orchestras, chamber musicians also to just see how we actually do these things and how we progress forward to try to destigmatize what we are. Mm -hmm. Then we have to. There's no there's no going back. Yeah. And just to kind of wrap up a little more, I just wanted to ask you guys. So Andrew, you're saying that the St. Louis Symphony is starting up again, you know, Cindy with Louisville and Autumn, you have work. Can you just tell me all about any upcoming events, anything you want to plug for our listeners to know? Yeah, you can go to slso.org. We're putting out every Saturday, we do rebroadcasts of previous concerts that we've done. And so like, go to our website, there's plenty of concerts that'll be on there. But we're also putting out new content, like we're recording all of our concerts, we bought new cameras everything we're trying to push ourselves into the 21st century and so like i think concerts will be um in the future streamed but i know that they're archived and they will be uploaded to the website periodically so go there check us out i think we're always putting stuff on youtube we have facebook we have instagram um yeah and we're all over the place and we're just trying to get our music out there yeah 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 Cindy? Well, Louisville Orchestra is doing something we're calling Love, Louisville Orchestra Virtual Edition, which oh, is wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> real fancy. Lover. That's awesome. <laughs> this concert series is all about love and connecting with the community and all that good stuff. Kind of a similar model to St. Louis. We have four sort of main mm-hmm. orchestra concerts. There's one more left and you can buy that one individually or you can buy the whole package of everything we've done so far and we'll continue to do through December, which includes the four orchestra concerts and then also a ton of extra stuff. So there's like recordings of individual members of the orchestra doing chamber music. They just uploaded an interview between Teddy Abrams and Sam Bush, who is an amazing bluegrass mandolin and fiddle player who we just played with. So there's tons of goodies there and you can watch all of the previous concerts on demand there or live stream in, in real time. And same same as St. Louis, we have Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff check out the social media we're posting stuff all the time and uh quad city symphony orchestra does about one concert a month in the first full weekend of the month we actually just did a concert we did bartok divertimento and beethoven violin concerto with our concert master naha greenberg we were playing to live audience but this time around we decided it was safer to go back to just digital format so if you go to qcso.org you can buy a ticket to the digital format and you can watch up to 30 days after you buy the ticket and our next concert is on december 5th and we're doing beethoven 
Kristen Eroica Symphony. We also have Facebook and Instagram. And I know Andrew and I are doing something this month, a chamber concert that's being yeah. aerial concert series. Uh, yeah. What are we doing? Holberg Suite and the Dvorak Bass Quintet. Yep. I think we're recording it and releasing that. And we're releasing it around Thanksgiving, I believe. Well, that's perfect. We'll yeah, keep you exactly. updated. <laughs> and just to round it out, what are your guys' Thanksgiving plans? I'm gonna go home, see my family. I think my yeah, I think it'll probably be my brother and my parents. My so, oldest nephew will probably be there. I'm just gonna go home. We're gonna eat. My dad and my brother cook. They're great cooks. I'll buy the liquor because I don't cook <laughs> <laughs> as it should be. I'll probably go home for half a week and I'll see some cousins and stuff throughout the week. But yeah, it'll be and play nice some tennis or is it and play cold? some uh, depending on the weather. No, I mean like it has to be really really cold for my brother and I not to go out. Oh, okay. So yeah, it'll. it'll It'll probably some tennis will definitely happen great me and jason we don't know if we're gonna do like a kind of like a mini thanksgiving dinner or like just go rogue and like eat surf and turf i don't know it's yeah <laughs> who knows what will happen it's 2020 right <laughs> no everything goes order yeah. Pizza. <laughs> yeah 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 brendan and i are just planning on staying in st louis Mm-hmm. And I think we might just cook ourselves a full Thanksgiving dinner and eat leftovers for a month. Because oh my yeah. god, that's awesome! <laughs> we're we're both kind of just curious to see if we can cook a Thanksgiving dinner. And Brendan's really into cooking meat, so we'll do a turkey. And... Cindy and I are freaking out because we forgot to mention this is a Thanksgiving. Sp- I'm so sorry, Autumn, to <laughs> to make it about us again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> The only time that I've ever made a turkey was with Patty. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and that was a damn good turkey, I gotta say. Was it good? Was it yeah. like a giant turkey or just like a smaller sort of for your apartment turkey? Yeah, okay. Oh no, we had a whole gang come out. Come. That was a very epic. That's maybe one of my favorite Thanksgivings ever. Was that Friendsgiving? All right. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, go ahead and press that subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews and ratings help this podcast be more visible to others and it's a free way to support this podcast another free way is to tell your friends and family about it and you can always become a part of the hiding behind the music stand family by donating to our patreon page at patreon.com slash music stand don't forget there's a spotify playlist available that contains all the pieces we discussed on the podcast it's all really great music and the link is always in the description of each episode so you know that barely a symphony fantastique now will finally be on the podcast <laughs> yeah. or the, the playlist i should say if you yeah. haven't heard it go listen if you haven't heard it now you it's can. great amazing amazing <laughs> follow us on social media facebook instagram and twitter all at hide and music stand for more content thank you so yeah. much guys for for taking more of your time and sharing your thoughts on the podcast. It really means so much to me. I miss you guys so much. And I oh, miss you too. Yeah. And miss I all of like, you. Like, except Autumn, I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't even miss you because we like, don't, we would be, if this had to happen, we'd be hanging out like every week. Like, it's true. Yeah. Like, I think we would have had much more time together. But yeah. It's fine. <laughs> But generally, I want to say, you know, you guys mean so much to me. And so you're all so special. And I hope you guys have a really stuffed Thanksgiving. You too. You too. Enjoy it. (laughs) And to the listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Sweet pie. (laughs) 
but not nut pie. No, <laughs> no, no. What was yeah, it called no, again? Pecan. The droopy pie? Uh, pecan. I don't know. She said the clumpy or uh, something. Gl- I don't know. Gloopy? Gloopy pie? Gloopy. 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 Yeah. If there's more gloop than nuts or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like- yeah. <laughs> Sushi, say happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's really hard because like (laughs) it's really hard because there's um what's happening right now i'm sorry i I, like burped and i was like oh no it's gonna be all right (laughs) sorry 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 so i was like what happened it was very dramatic i was like no (laughs) continue sorry sorry Sorry. that was worth stopping for (laughs) comic relief yes